0: Cool. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, here to do the scripture reading, uh, Luke chapter one, um, verse twenty-six. I'm um, just reading from the NIV. Uh, I'll give you guys some time to get there. <clears throat> cool. Titled "The Birth of Jesus Foretold." Um, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign in, reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month.
1: Good morning. I'll move this over because there's a dodgy bit of stage there. And I don't want to fall through it. Well, it's good to be here, isn't it? Yeah. And For those of you that know me, um, Christmas is a really favourite time of the year for me. Um, the anticipation of it. Um, thinking about special gifts for the family and friends and um, sort of salivating at the thought of all the recipes that you see through the recipe books and putting together a menu, the flick of the lights, the music, and then visualising and thinking about the angels singing as God became flesh, as it all means that that the humanity of God's plan to restore a relation with him started. And the illustration that we're looking at today, because we've been following all of the illustrations, which is so brilliant. I mean, Breyer has just captured all of these things so beautifully. So full marks Breyer, the artist who designed these. Um, This particular one is just so beautiful. it's labeled The Humble Birth. And even the title makes me think about all the pictures that in my mind of that day when Jesus was born. And that divine anticipation and preparation that went into that moment is certainly a far cry from my Christmas preparation. So today, as we look at the humble birth, um, there's a couple of ways that I want us to see not only some of the beautiful insights in how God used those humble um, in service and obedience, but how we can take heart in our own lives as ordinary as we think they are and the opportunities that they create for us to be used by God to do good. So, what are some of the humble examples we see threaded throughout the story? The prophecy of a humble birth. In the Old Testament, prophecies foretold that the birth of Jesus would be humble. Isaiah 53, 2 and 3 says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind and we held him in low esteem. Wow, so sad. Isaiah prophetically explains how the Messiah would not be properly recognised for who he was, seemingly ordinary and easy to miss. An unremarkable king He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. No stately political titles. He would not look like an earthly king or have titles to govern in earthly governments. And he would have no earthly majesty or authority from man. An unremarkable birthplace in Micah 5 and 2, which you're all familiar with and we've heard a lot, but Bethlehem. Too little to be among the clans. Isn't that such a condescending (laughs) sort of little statement? "Ah, You're too little. You don't count. From you, though, one shall come forth to me who is to be the ruler of Israel. And I read with great interest that the region was actually called Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee was a place both in Isaiah's time and during the time of Jesus' ministry where the Jewish people were the minority and the Gentiles predominated. A seemingly unremarkable mother, Isaiah 7 and 4, therefore the Lord will give himself to you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. So we have all of those things prophesying that And these passages would have been really well known to the Jews, and the birth of the Messiah was something that they waited for and longed for. And Craig spoke last week about Mary asking the angel, how can this happen since I am a virgin? Because the virgin birth must have just quietly been on the mind of every Jewish woman. They'd known and anticipated it was something that they looked out for. So this this sort of concept wasn't foreign to them in that time. And I really loved the thought that he brought out last week about the fact that perhaps in her mind she thought, am I the virgin? So, all the signs were there, the long-anticipated arrival of the Messiah happens. And it's quite staggering that despite all of those alignments of those things that not more people picked up on the cues, that they weren't taken more seriously. And as Matt read, thanks, Matt, In Luke 1, um, the story begins and the the birth of Jesus foretold actually happens. And the courage of Mary is far from ordinary and unremarkable. Rather, it's extraordinary and incredible. This humble 14-year-old, 15-year-old wee girl spoken to and responding to the angel Just for a moment, every woman in the room, picture your 14-year-old self or your 14-year-old daughter in that moment. I don't know about you, but I would have been totally overwhelmed and probably terrified. But Mary is quite accepting of the the explanation that the angel gave her about how she would conceive. That the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, symbolizing the immediate presence and the power of God. And interestingly, that same word, that same overshadow word is used in Matthew 17 and 5 on the Mount of Transfiguration where it says, A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Anyway, Mary calmly responds with a, may your word be fulfilled. I think she's only 14. That's really quite incredible, isn't it? So much insight, so mature for a girl who probably had a very different plan for her life laid out, expectingly and excited about her engagement to Joseph and all that was involved around the planning for that. And then the angel goes on to tell her about Elizabeth, her relative. Some commentaries even read that Elizabeth may have been Mary's mother's sister, making her her aunt. Anyway, she's six months pregnant. Um, And we read that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, which is actually quite a long journey, and it's quite a tough journey. It's about 160 kilometres from Nazareth to Encarn, which is where Elizabeth was. And that's, I worked it out, that's about the same as walking from Hamilton to Taupo. And it's actually all uphill because of the sea elevation. Anyway, on her arrival, there's great joy between them both. They're both pregnant with special babes on board. John leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb. She could leave behind, perhaps, all the scorn and the naysayers of where she'd come from and be with someone who celebrated with her about carrying the Messiah. And it's at this point that Mary even describes herself as humble, and it's so nicely put it in the video as well. In Luke 1, 46 to 55, she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. She got it. And this time with Elizabeth was a special time. Elizabeth would have been preparing for her own birth. And Mary, no doubt, would have been soaking up all of that information. So God made sure that Mary had the right people around her to prepare herself for the task ahead. We have a caring God. And the humble moments continue. We have the four to five day trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 140 k's. So another long walk that she takes. And it's interesting, our traditional Christmas cards have Mary and Joseph often depicted as walking alone, traveling on their own. But it's highly likely that they would have been many others on the road travelling back to their hometown as well. They would have been part of a convoy, which provided safety for them, um, because there's safety in numbers, isn't there? So God made sure that they got there safely. Then there's the donkey. There's actually no mention in the Bible of Mary being on a donkey. But she may have been, given they were part of a larger group, And she was heavily pregnant. Perhaps someone took pity on her as they walked all those kilometres. But an incredible note that I read that I just absolutely love, which says if that actually was the case and she was on a donkey, would have made an extremely symbolic act. Mary carrying Jesus in the womb. Mary on a donkey, taking the same route that he took from Jerusalem, from the east, on Palm Sunday. The same route taken at the beginning of his life and the very end of his life. And then we have the birth. It reads that Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths. And we aren't told, but it's highly likely that Mary did not deliver Jesus on her own, as the home that they were staying in was a family home and it was full. And I'm sure that, that Mary giving birth to her first baby would not have been ignored by all the other women in the household. But if she did, she had had that time with Elizabeth to observe and prepare for the birth. And I have this really interesting book at home about the customs in Israel, um, customs um, of biblical times. And I read with real interest that it was standard practice to wrap babies in swaddling cloths and something that Mary perhaps would have seen when she was with Elizabeth or among her own extended family. Plus, she obviously had these cloths ready on hand as they were part of her preparation for the birth. It's actually a customary hygiene practice, and it's still practiced today in some parts of the Middle East, for a newborn baby to be rubbed with salt water and olive oil all over its entire body, and then wrapped tightly in clean rags or swaddling cloths for seven days and then the process is repeated until the baby is 40 days old. And actually Ezekiel actually mentions this process in chapter 16 verse four, you can check it out. I have always wondered as a mother myself about the actual birthing and labouring of Jesus, whether it was different to what we know and experience. Perhaps we aren't told that God gave Mary the original laboring experience he'd intended for us all before the fall. Because as we learnt from Craig last week, again, brilliant about thinking about that Jesus was without sin because he wasn't from the line of Adam, um, Abraham and Adam. Yeah, those two. Um, Meaning that this curse may not have been the desire for Mary from God on this occasion. And then we have the manger. The Bible says he was laid in a manger, a humble manger. But Jesus being laid in the manger isn't perhaps as strange as it would seem, as the place where they were staying would have been a family home, which would include having the animals in a courtyard um, inside for safety reasons, keep them in safe during the night. Place was full, the house was full, space was tight and the bible doesn't actually say that jesus was born in a manger. The bible says he was laid in a manger. But all the same, a pretty humble first wee beard for our king of kings. So, we have humble group of people, a humble setting, a humble arriving, arrival and the humble announcement of a king. The humble people, Mary, an ordinary young girl who found favour with God. She spoke of herself as being humble. Joseph is referred to as a just man. Being a carpenter was considered an ordinary, humble job of the day. The humble setting in a family home amongst the animals. No palace or birthing unit there. And the humble arriving, rival laid in a manger his first bed. Delivered in Bethlehem, too small or ordinary, just a humble little place in Israel. Too little to be amongst the clans of Judea. The humble announcement of the birth of a king given to a group of shepherds via a host of angels. Not the usual great pomp and fanfare in the announcement of a king that we normally would be used to. The angels were the only touch of glory that night bright lights, heavenly choirs, singing praises. That was the kind of announcement for a king, wasn't it? And all of this brought about through the obedience of a small group of people as the word became flesh and the prophecy was fulfilled. Remember Jesus was born after four hundred years of silence from God. And Jesus' first cries as a baby. a God's voice once again graces the land. I love that thought. But it all came at a cost. Because being humble often brings with it humility. And for many in the story, Jesus' birth, they were not only humble already, but they were also humbled even more. Mary, a virgin, most likely falsely thought of as being unfaithful to Joseph. Joseph, most likely falsely accused of getting Mary pregnant. Elizabeth, living with the humility most of her life, the societal shame of not having a child. Being humble is one thing, but being humbled through an act is even harder. So, not even the already humble characters in the story had it easy. And the Bible talks so much about being humble and humility. And being humble in our minds can be described as ranking low in hierarchy or scale, or not costly or luxurious. Humility is often characterized as genuine gratitude or a lack of arrogance or a modest view of yourself. But biblical humility is described as being grounded in the nature of God. He laid before us the ultimate example of being humble when he humbled himself to come and live amongst us, to serve and die so that the relationship with him could be restored. And in Philippians 2, we're encouraged to imitate Christ's humility. Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your interests, but each of you in the interests of others in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Grant touched on that too. Being humble in our spiritual journey often requires us to trust God in the impossible as Mary did, as Joseph did. I often think Joseph's a little bit of an unsung hero in the story. Mary got to speak and hear to the angel. He was obedient in a dream. And he loved Mary. But to look how their obedience was used <clears throat> to bring to life the greatest gift, a plan activated so that we could have restoration with God, our Heavenly Father. Jesus demonstrates humbleness. Jesus had a humble beginning. He led a humble life. He spent his whole life focused on serving others. And Jesus' humble circumstances are quite deliberate. They had a purpose. Because as Paul writes in Romans 6, for this, for, this was for our sake, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Emmanuel, Jesus, identified with us stood with us and while we were yet sinners he died for us amen well you might be thinking oh well that's all very nice and it's hardly surprising that we're having lessons about jesus birth at christmas time but what can we take away from the story for our lives today i want to just change the narrative a little bit about the nativity and the humble birth with one word that challenges our thinking about how we perceive the ordinary or the unremarkable things in our life through the example set to us by the Christmas story and their characters. For the last 12 months, I've been really blessed to be part of a mentoring programme with the English preacher and teacher Charlotte Gamble, which I'm absolutely loving. And for the next few minutes, I just wanna share with you a session she presented about a word called opportunity and how it aligns to how God can use any one of us to fulfill his plans for today. You see, opportunity is a kind of word that we throw around. We say things like, oh, if an opportunity arises, I'll take it. Or if I have the opportunity to say something, I'll see that God's prompting me and I'll act on it but thinking about this more, is this actually how opportunity works? A lot of us might even say, oh, I'm waiting for the right opportunity before I'll move on that decision. But perhaps we don't need to be waiting. Maybe the opportunity just needs taking. When Rex and I were first married in 1986, Rex had, had a first love to go dairy farming. He had had a really bad experience in, um, when he'd come up from Hawke's Bay to the Waikato with a, under the farming cadet scheme and was treated really badly. And my beautiful Rex, who's here today after just two hours sleep to support me after coming off night shift, thank you, darling, um, he left in the middle of the night from this farm on his little 50cc motorbike and drove all the way back to Napier from the Waikato. But his first love was still there. And he really, really wanted to go dairy farming. I had never left the bay. All of our family, all of our extended family were there. And Rex's uncle who and auntie that were in the Waikato, they found us a job at Tihoe. So the opportunity was there for the taking. And with some sort of fear and trepidation, we packed up what we had a year after we'd been married, and we left all of what we knew behind to come to something we knew we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any churches, we didn't know anyone. I had I left a really good job, but the opportunity was there. And it's been such a blessing in our lives. That shift has enabled us to serve to develop new relationships, to have incredible new friends, incredible careers, to be part of amazing churches. It created created doorways for opportunities. It created conversations for us to have opportunities. And when we look back over our lives since 1987, since we've been here, we are so pleased that we made that move, that fear from what we knew and was comfortable into something that was unknown to us. And we often acknowledge it as we look back and say, how different would our lives have been if we'd stayed in Napier? And how opportunity, what the opportunities would there be for our kids had we not moved? And had we chosen to stay? So, perhaps it's time we retweet the way we think about opportunities. That we think we need to be presented to us before we'll move. And instead, step in and grab hold of what's already potentially in our hand to create opportunities. Galatians 6 and 9 says, don't grow weary of doing good. But in verse 10, it says, as we have the opportunity to do good. Every day, we have the opportunity to do good. Romans 12 and one in the Message Bible, I love. It. it says, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. This is the difference in the way that we can view opportunity. It's our attitude towards the everyday, ordinary, unremarkable things of life that could just pass us by and see them as a new day opportunity we've just heard over and over again that it was the ordinary everyday life and people that became the instruments that were part of and delivered the greatest gift Mary an ordinary humble young girl Joseph an ordinary just young man going about his business planning his life being a carpenter the shepherds going about their business given the ultimate announcement on the birth of, the Je- of Jesus on the Saviour on that night. Man, you would to have been on the night shift that night, wouldn't you? That's a story to tell. And when we look through the Bible, there are loads and loads of examples of, pe- of people who didn't wait for opportunities. Rather, they created them through their actions. Examples like the woman of blood in Luke, suffering for 12 years. She took the opportunity to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment. John 6, the boy with five loaves and two fish. He gave what he had. He didn't wake up in the morning and think as he was rolling up his bread and his lunch, Woohoo! today these fish are going to feed 5,000 people. He took a small, humble offering that created an opportunity that became part of a miracle in Jesus' hands. The Shemanite woman in Second Kings, she saw a need for Elijah. She didn't wait for a word from him. She thought, I have a bed, I have a lamp, I have a room. I can cook. She, she saw a need, and she served the need. And this led to a conversation about her barrenness, which led to a conversation, which led to her having a son, which later led to the resurrection of that son, which then further led to the restoration of her land further on in the story. And where did all of these things begin? Was it a neon sign that said, this is your opportunity no, it began in a quiet place, a humble offering that was well within each of the reach and the comfort zone of all of these ones that created a string of miracles. Ruth, gathering the, the wheat and the barley sheaves. There was an opportunity and it solved a the problem. They were hungry. The wheat was lying on the ground. This opportunity resulted in her marrying Boaz, having a son who became the father of David and the direct descendant of Jesus Christ. Because she went out to pick up wheat. So many others: Rahab and hiding the spies, and Mark 4, the four friends. I love this one who dug a hole through the roof to low exactly in somebody else's house to lower their sick friend down because they couldn't get through. They weren't going to take no for an answer. They layered, they made it, created it so their friend could be healed. David taking his lunch out to his brothers and just sort of killing the Goliath on his way home. Perhaps you're waiting on a job. Perhaps you're waiting for the next step to reveal itself. Perhaps you're in an in-between stages in your life and you can't see how things are going to move ahead. All big life decisions. But these moments don't stop us from seeing and seeking out what seem like small opportunities that are part of our ordinary life. Sometimes we can hold back, waiting on the right opportunity, waiting for the right moment to be part of the miraculous, the wonderful. Often we want to be part of the miracle, when in fact we could be the beginning of a miracle. Perhaps we could stand up or step into something, volunteer, be involved in something new, Remember, these kind of opportunities don't start with a flashing neon light that says, this is your opportunity. Every day is filled with a way to do good. Our workplace, our church, our family, our community. Sometimes, though, the opportunity isn't what we think. I remember when, being a, when I was 17, who remembers certain sounds in Wham? Can I show Oh, there's a few hands. Back in the day... It was only two opportunities as a Christian musician where you could be used for God, and that was Certain T- Sounds, which was a band that was put together, which was used for, throughout the year to put on different gigs and, and ministries and, and um, yeah, can't think of the word. And the other one was YWAM, which was a bigger group of people where you were used for a year in a similar way, and your, your gifts could be across a broader scope. And I thought, oh, this is my opportunity. I'm going to go for it. And I went for my audition and I played and I sang and that was okay. (laughs) And then very unexpectedly and quite unprepared, the guy said to me, right, without any music, I would like you to do a, um, a dance, pretending that you are an acorn growing into a beautiful tree. So hence to say, God has a great sense of humor because that opportunity was a no my interpretive dance of an acorn into a tree didn't quite pull off. But anyway, opportunities are just not in the good moments, but they're also in the moments. It's just not the days when we feel like doing good. It's every day taking the chance to do good. Can you imagine the pain that Mary went through with everyone talking about her pregnancy? Can you imagine the pain Joseph felt knowing he wasn't the father of the baby Mary was carrying and knowing that everyone would have highly suspected him. But they both knew what they needed to do and they stepped right into it. And Jesus operated like this too. He met the woman at the well. He took the opportunity to speak into her life. He saw Zacchaeus up a tree and he called him down. He raised the widow's son back to life in Luke 7 and 11. He let the children come to him so that he could bless them. Jesus realized all around him he had the opportunity to do good, and he did. So, in closing, closing, there's a challenge that Charlotte put to me and to the group, and I'd like to put this to you. In this Christmas week, I want us to do one or all of the following things and they were meant to come up one at a time. Anyway, one, every day this week, each day, what opportunity can you take to use your words in a way that gives gratitude, honor, kindness, thanksgiving, or blessing to someone? Where could you start? Is it your home? Is it your family, your neighbor? your work colleague? We will happily fill our social media feeds with all kinds of words. But what if this week the only comments that you put up on your social media feed are full of encouragement, honor, and show gratitude? If you take on this one, I tell you, it will change your life. Two, what opportunity do you have this week to pick something up or lay something down? It could be something simple like picking, working in with the neighbours to carpool with the kids, helping out, creating space for someone to be able to have some free time by volunteering and, and doing something. Perhaps it's a new discipline, a new hobby, making contact with an old friend that needs to rekindle a friendship or pick up the tab when you're out for coffee. Perhaps it's time to lay something down, this act. Excuse me, might create an opportunity for someone else to step into a role or task. What can you lay down that you don't need to carry anymore? And one of the statements that I absolutely love that we learned a while back in this course was that um, if life is hard and your mountain is really, really hard to climb, check in with God that you're on the right mountain. Laying something down creates new space, new time to chase the things that you really want to do and that you may have, that give you joy or that you've been called to do. And three, what opportunity do you have this week to grow and learn? Where can you put yourself into a learning circle? Where can you read or what can you lean into? What lessons can you put yourself in to grow? You don't have to wait for the opportunity to go to Bible school to grow spiritually you can be doing this every day. So are you up for it? Yeah. The humble birth story is full of lessons that we can grab hold of today and apply to our lives. Don't ever think that you are ordinary or unremarkable. Don't ever think what you have is ordinary or unremarkable. Don't ever think that you have nothing in your hand to offer. Don't ever think that what you have might be insignificant, because in God's hand, it could be the beginning of a miracle. Let's pray. Lord, today we've been reminded of how you take the ordinary, everyday things in our lives and turn them into a part of your master plan, not only in our lives, but in others' And as we head into this coming week, Lord, help us to rise to this challenge of seeing and seeking our opportunities to do good for others, to use kind words and not grow weary of doing that. Help us to learn and grow in your ways. Help us to recognize that you would have, what you would have us pick up or lay down. You are our God, our Savior, our Redeemer. You showed us the ultimate form of humility by becoming flesh and living and growing and being right here amongst us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that. Help our humility to be grounded in your nature, God. We take this Christmas time to remember and celebrate at your birth and are reminded of who you used to make that miracle come to life, the humble people, the humble place. that was all used for good. Please let us see the lessons we can apply to be humble but generous in what you have placed in our hands for good.